Are you the quantum mechanics? Yes, we are the quantum mechanics with a paranormal podcast for the believers, the doubters and everyone in between. Uh, ben, before we get into the episode, uh, I've had a bit of a jot this week, just one of those things, strange coincidence. Normally on the podcast, we try and keep these weird experiences that happen to me and Ben separate so we don't try and tell each other until we're on the podcast but I got a bit overexcited this week and texted him straight away so he has he has heard this story but for those of you at home it was so weird my daughter is uh, doing her A-levels at the moment including drama and as part of a school trip they went to see a play in Oxford this week and on the morning, I'd said to my daughter, oh, what are you going to see? She said, oh, no idea. I've not read the email. I haven't got a clue what we're going to see, but we're, it's in Oxford. I'm like, fine. So I picked her up after she'd been to this performance and said, how was it? And she said, it, it was a little bit weird. And I said, well, why was it weird? She said, it was a ghost story about two paranormal podcasters. Sounds familiar. <laughs> Sounds very familiar. This is the freaky bit. One of them's called Ben. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> the other one's not called Peter. The other uh. one's called Steve, which made me think of just Steve, who, uh, who is a, uh, he's, he's an early mechanic who we, we correspond with quite a lot on Twitter and stuff. But anyway, that's aside. So, yeah, one called Ben, the other one called Steve, who are doing a ghost investigation. Uh, I won't do any spoilers, but uh, they slowly descend into insanity. That does feel very familiar to podcasting. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm just reading the summary. I think, what, what is the play called? I th- the play is called When When Darkness Falls, a ghost story. Uh, it says, On a stormy night on a small island of Guernsey, a young paranormal expert joins a sceptical history teacher to record their first in a series of podcasts based on the island's incredible folklore and paranormal history. I mean, the young bit doesn't really fit, does it? No. Well, I mean, in comparison to, I don't know, Joe Biden, we're young. Yeah, that's true. Says, as the experts uh, regale, as the expert regales his horrifying stories, the teacher learns that we all have our own truths, our own stories, ghosts that haunt us. So, yeah, inspired by true events, it says. Inspired. Yes. By true events. So two people with those names actually met. Nothing else. Yeah. Nothing else happened. But it did, it did make me weird. It, it did weird me out slightly. When I said, oh, what was the play about? Oh, two paranormal podcasters who were doing a ghost hunt. One of them was called Ben. It's like, whoa, hold on. <laughs> well, I think that's a great idea. Like, I've, I've always thought that we should do a play. And we were talking about it when... Um, uh, Lord Mike James was was in the room again. We really must do that because um, I really want to go and see two twenty two. You know, Danny uh, oh, yeah. Robbins one, which is kind of based on some of the stories that he covered in Uncanny, and some of the stuff that we've uncovered on here. Um, you know, it's it's got a better plot than Harry Potter. I wouldn't go that far, but it's <laughs> <laughs> well. Okay, yeah, fair enough. I was big. I was bigging it up. But it's got a better plot than Percy Jackson and the Lightning Thieves. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> we'll set our sights a little bit lower. But um, yeah, and uh, we had quite a lot of feedback last week uh, for last week's episode on infrasound uh, and uh, weirdly kind of zeitgeisty. I've. Uh, I've come across a few more articles, and it, it seems to be a bit of a buzz topic at the moment, which I didn't realise when I did the episode. But um, no, I don't. I don't think we've created that. But sometimes you do, you do cover something that um, that does resonate. So uh, literally resonates like a sound wave. So if you've not heard that episode, it's really worth going back. It's last week's episode. It's called um, uh, "Haunting Infrasound." Uh, yeah, I've been thinking about it a lot because it there's that that idea that certain locations, long corridors, cellars can create this this uh, standing infrasound wave that can affect you both physically and mentally, and could le- lean to hallucinations or thoughts of a paranormal encounter. It's quite fascinating. It really is, and of course, the jazz drafts. Yes. 
Yeah, that 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 sounds like a really exciting ball game. It does. <laughs> I find it difficult to say. Like giraffe and drafts. Okay, I managed it there. there it is go. difficult, though. Oh, you were talking about giraffes. Yeah, jazz giraffes. Jazz giraffes. Okay. Jazz giraffes. Yeah, yes, of course, the saxophone giraffe. The saxophone giraffes, yeah. <laughs> that went off at a weird tangent. <laughs> well, speaking of weird tangents, I was waiting I was waiting for the... Uh, for the seg. The seg, okay. Weird, weird, weird tangents. Um, and we've just been sitting in your garden before this, and your dog really likes to chase birds. Yeah. But what if I told him that birds weren't real? Okay. Ha- have you come across this before? I haven't. It, it, I, I mean, the first thing that jumped to my mind when you said that is uh, a, a kind of simulated reality, but that would mean everything was not real, not just birds. No, no. This is a theory that says all birds in the United States were secretly replaced with drones by the government... <laughs> In the 1950s, as a way wow. to, set, to spy on citizens. Now, it sounds obviously it sounds weird, but there are people yeah. who believe in this, and that is kind of the the um, the theme of this <laughs> this conversation stroke lecture is weird things that people believe and why they might believe them. Are you going to go into more detail on the birds, or can yes. I ask a few questions? Oh, so, I'll wait. So. Uh, it was first started in 2017 by a chap called Peter McKindo, who is a college student from Memphis. He created a website and social media accounts and began selling merchandise related to it, which I think is genius. Yeah. That's a very good idea. Um, when he put the theory forward, he sort of... he. This is the time when, like, everyone's getting drones. So I think it was, like, really well-timed. Because in 2017, we've probably forgotten, but there was, like, drone scares at airports. Yep. And people were getting them for Christmas and then being told they couldn't fly them. Um, so it was kind of like, oh, birds are drones. And he claims that this program began during the Cold War, as I say, in the 50s, as a way of keeping an eye on citizens. And the drones keep regularly being updated and replaced. But I must say that he talks about it, he says it as a form of satirical activism, arguing that it's a way of raising awareness about government surveillance and the need to be vigilant about our rights and freedoms. Okay, so he doesn't truly believe it. It's a well, it's a hoax with a purpose, is that what he's saying? Yes, although he has two characters. So when he is speaking as himself, right. that is what he says. But he will go on uh, chat shows and podcasts and talk about it as if he really, really believes it. So he's kind of invented a persona Right. Of somebody who believes it. The bird man. Yeah, yeah. But the strange thing is, it's taken a life of its own. So there's a number of different people who were commenting when I was investigating this particular one, saying that um, when they heard about it and ran it past their teenagers, their teenagers had already knew, they'd already right. found out about it because it travelled so fast on social media. And so I decided to delve into one of the subreddit groups. And it's really hard to tell whether in this subreddit people are taking it seriously or not. But you do find posts like, so this is a real one, um, as this sub knows, the USA has had all their birds replaced with drones. But what about other large Western population centres, such as the UK or Germany? How many countries have had their own birds replaced, especially in the UK? Are your birds still real? (laughs) And that makes me think about red kites weirdly enough which are quite prominent around here because they were introduced weren't they so i don't know if you I, I i'm i'm a i'm a town boy i'm a london boy so i don't know you you'll probably know more i always think of these huge red kite birds as something that came later on like in our childhood they didn't exist in this country very much but then they were kind of introduced or reintroduced that's right and now they're everywhere but that would that would fit nicely with that theory that they're actually not real they're some kind of surveillance technique and anyone that has ever seen a red kite that is a big meaty bird when i first moved to the countryside i thought is that a pterodactyl in the sky because some of them are huge they they are huge and they tend to get together in big groups and kind of fly circles I'm not going to look at them in the same way again. Although, if they're a surveillance technique, their um, their main objective seems to be farms because they they seem to circulate heavily there. I guess because there's food. 
Yeah, well, they, they feed on carrion, yeah. so, yeah. But what's interesting about this, like I said, he's got two personas, and when he's speaking in his kind of, um, I created this persona, he did an interview with the New York Times, and when we were talking about um, like how we've got to be careful about how we look at things and the worldview we bring to it, I thought this little quote from him was really interesting. So he says, um, the background to this, he says he grew up in a conservative school and district. Um, and his quote is, he says, the Christian worldview is really about how you're determining truth. Where, the, where are you getting your truth from? What is your relationship with the truth? For a Christian, your foundational relationship with the truth is determined by faith. Its definition is that you can't argue with it or interrogate it. And I thought, well, that's a very interesting way of putting it because we always, that's part of the point of this podcast. And the thing that I find really difficult to come to terms with, I think I'd be hugely disappointed if we could prove that all UFOs were just light anomalies or aircraft or secret helicopters. I really, really, really want there to be aliens flying around. And my default state is that is what is happening. So I have to be, I have to keep checking myself every time we talk about UFOs and particularly the fantastical stories of like um, uh, alien cross hybridization and stuff and kind of go, okay, it's, it might be true, but we have to remember it might not be true and take that middle ground. And this is kind of what he's saying is where are you building? What is your what is your baseline level of truth that you can build something on? Right. That's that's really interesting because while you were talking about it, I was thinking, made me think of X-Files and the poster with the UFO. Is it I want to I believe? I want to believe, yeah. Yeah, and that uh, you, you realise how perfect that is for the X-Files because that kind of sums up exactly what you're talking about, isn't it? I want to believe. So there is going to be, even in a wealth of evidence, you're still going to in some ways hang on to this thread that, yeah, 99.99% of encounters or or sightings are not true, but it's it's that 0.01% that keeps you going in a way because you want to believe. It's really interesting you should say that because really, in the, the X Files, that is Fox Mulder's undoing. Yeah. That he he firmly he wants to believe it so much that he creates his own reality in some instances. Yeah, which which is is analogous to what you're talking about. That's really interesting perspective from the the Birdman. I'm going to call him. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I guess when he kind of compares it to religion. You, you, it was making me think. You see the benefit of having the book. You know what I mean, the mm. Bible, because it does give you some almost reference point back. Whereas in his bird concept, that's a bit more difficult. Well, I guess that's why he created the whole um, the backstory. Yeah, stuff. yeah. But there's a, there's another one. You probably have come across the chemtrail. Yes, absolutely. Actually, before we move on Mm. to chemtrails, I just want to go back. What's interesting as well, because when you first started talking about the bird thing, it it also says something about the mentality. I don't know if it's a want-to-believe thing. My first instinct was, I mean, it's so ridiculous. I mean, what's he saying? That every bird in America has been replaced and, God, the technology is so good, they still, you know, they managed to fool (laughs) all of these ornithologists. They're so clever with it. So it's ridiculous in a way, but maybe that's the point he's trying to make. I think think that's exactly right, because the amount of technology you'd have to put in to make the... the, And manage them. (laughs) Yes, and make them nest and lay eggs. And when you shoot them, make them edible. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, how does that explain chickens in America? Yeah, or wild turkeys. But but I guess he's saying that's not important, which is interesting. I'd never never thought about it from that perspective. It's a very interesting exercise. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and the fact it travelled, and this was tested. So if you're not familiar with the chemtrail theory, although I'm sure most of you are, the idea is that um, the contrails that you see left in the sky when an aeroplane flies through it, it isn't vapour condensing. It is governments being sprayed, sorry, it's governments spraying chemicals there for sinister purposes, which could be weather modification or population control. And 
a group from the University of California in Irvine created a fake chemtrail conspiracy theory website in 2016 to test people's susceptibility to misinformation. The website was called Solar Geoengineering, a History of Deception and Manipulation. And it claimed that the government... I know, they always use... Not very catchy, is it? (laughs) It's... Honestly. But it makes it sound important. Yeah, it does. It makes it sound scientific. That's the purpose, right? That's right. And it, it claimed that the very specific reason why these chemtrails were being put up there was to combat climate change. And the website included fake news articles, photoshopped images, and other fabricated evidence to support the conspiracy theory. The researchers were very surprised to find that many people believed the website was real and shared the information on social media. In fact, some of the images that were shared on social media became so ubiquitous that they're actually included in the Wikipedia article about chemtrails. Mm. Um, you might have seen, and I'm, we'll, we'll obviously put it on social stuff, but Peter, you might have seen this image. Okay, so what I'm showing... Is that from that website then? Well, it, that's where it was. That They sort of took it on. Actually, it's not. It's from a technical uh, website about aircraft. So what it is... So just, just for those listening at home, we will put it on social media, but what Ben has just showed me, it's like a big aircraft inside a big aircraft with just loads of barrels of chemicals, basically. Yeah, that's what it looks like. And it looks like there's tubes going to them. Yeah, yeah. What it actually is that photograph is of a test flight of a commercial airliner and each one of those barrels simulates the weight of different people okay so you could test putting a fat person next to a thin person and stuff yeah but it was taken on that website as showing that these are vats of chemicals that are waiting to be sprayed out i mean what what's interesting in the way that they've done it um is if you think about it, it, it it does. It's back to that backstory that you can buy into, isn't it? The narrative is good because we do know that governments have tested out, you know, drugs and chemicals and stuff on their own population. Or we talked about it last week with um, the American military during the sixties and seventies testing LSD yes. on their soldiers without yes. their knowledge. So that there is, it's not like unbelievable in that sense that you can't go, well, they would never do that. Well, they would because they have done things like that, whether they do it on that scale. are really interesting to tie it into climate change as well because that seems like, oh, if they were going to do it, that would be a logical reason for doing it rather than trying to control or poison their own population or another population. Ah, oh, they're doing this to quietly do that i always think that with um with the hole in the ozone you know was it really we stopped using deodorants that fixed it there's almost i could buy into a conspiracy about something like this of how they fixed the hole in the ozone layer yeah i could as well it kind of happened right and it's like really so i'm because i'm rolling on rather than spraying on deodorant is that made all the difference <laughs> you know what i mean yes that's true i know there's holes in what i'm saying but you, you no, know no. what you know what i'm guessing ozone holes yeah, yeah. well the the reason that i started thinking about this was of course when we were speaking about gremlins we touched on the carrots yeah. which is the most the softest of conspiracy theories but um like how many people still believe it and yeah yeah. that if you eat carrots it makes you see in the dark that's right and it does have a small basis in reality in that um the vitamins in it are good for the eyes right they won't give you supernatural powers but they are good for the eyes that's the little bit of information you need to be able to believe that it's true that's kind of what i'm saying isn't it there needs to be a thread of truth so in this case in your chemtrails well yes governments have put chemicals or drugs or whatever they've tested them out on their population without their knowledge so that's your little uh snippet of truth that you can then build upon right absolutely and in case um anyone's thinking well this is just boring i know about these things hold on i'm going to do what they do uh, what in television terms, would be called a forward throw. We're going to listen to some scientists 
telling us why we believe these things. And then I'm going to confound you with something which sounds like the most ridiculous conspiracy theory. And if you knew that it was true, you might believe the birds. Wow. Okay. So, but before that, here's one that I had just come across and I had no idea it existed and I loved it. So the Middle Ages didn't exist. Have you come across that? (laughs) Okay. I love the way you're setting these up because I'm sitting here going, okay. (laughs) So this theory proposes that the period between the fall of the Western Roman Empire in the 5th century and the Renaissance in the 15th century was a fabrication by scholars and historians to fill the gap in history. (laughs) Uh, So are are they saying... Okay, are they saying nothing happened, or are they saying it was pretty boring, so we've made something up? Well, um, this might explain it. So the theory emerged in the 1980s by a chap called Heribert Illig, who's a German writer and historical revisionist. That sort of says all you need to know, (laughs) doesn't it? Yes. Um, He first thought that the years 614 to 911 AD were invented. And some of his followers continue to espouse that. In one version of his theory, Emperor Otto III, who's uh, 980 to uh, 1002, he didn't live very long. No, that's 22 that's years old. 980 to 10, that's about 15 minutes, isn't it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he wanted to live in the year 1000 AD. So, with the help of his friend Gerbert de Orillac, the later Pope Sylvester II, he had 300 years of history invented, including the life and reign of Charlemagne. So, so they're saying he, he, he literally moved the dates forward so he could be, and then he, had to yeah. invent something yeah. to fill out the time. That's right, because people were just kind of That's like hilarious. living... In that period, they're like mostly living on the land. They don't really have calendars that they refer to. Right. You just make stuff up and go, oh, there was this fella, and it's the year 1000, and people go, all right. Just got to go back to my turnips. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's funny how you say that with dates because I experienced that living in Japan because obviously they're. I mean, I think most countries do still think about you know Western dates of you know two thousand and twenty three, but within the country themselves, it's it's based on if I remember this correctly, the uh, it's either the birth date or the date that the emperor comes to power. So it, right. it, it kind of almost their dates reset every right. every time there's a new emperor. So you know you can see. So so I, I I'm kind of relating to people back in that time that I had I couldn't tell you what the year was in when I lived in Japan apart from from my Western perspective. Right. Well, that makes sense. What you say about emperors as well, because another version of uh, Heribert's theory is that uh, the Byzantine Emperor Constantine the Seventh, uh, 905 to 959, organised a rewriting of history, even though his motives are even less clear. But there's people who believe this. This book has been written and published. Um, it's still in circulation now. I couldn't find an English version. I could only find a German version. Right. But you can still buy it. And there are people who believe in it, which is fine. But it's a it's a theory. But he's had to manufacture a reason why. Yeah, and, and does he come up with any evidence? Is it or is it just because it, it's quite well, it's quite a random thing to suddenly pick, isn't it? Unless you've got ah, oh, I've found fifteen different sources that claim this happened. Well, he claims that he's got evidence that surviving documents and artifacts are all forgeries or hoaxes. But it's a, it's a bit like um, that Black Adder. Everyone else says they're not. I say they are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he obviously points the finger at establishment and goes, "Well, it doesn't fit the narrative, and uh, so you know, I'm breaking the narrative." And here's the thing, you know, which is fine. And if we didn't have people that broke the narrative, then we wouldn't advance. But even so, there is, seems to be very thin evidence for right. any of this. Right. But he does point to historical documents and kind of point to why they might be fake. And, um, you know, that's fine. But there are people who do believe the Middle Ages didn't exist. 
Yeah, it's funny with that one and the birds. Uh, I'm thinking you have to think about motivations of the people who've done it. So in the birds one, it it, it seems almost like a a thought experiment. <laughs> the the way oh, you yeah. described it. In this one, I'm sitting there thinking, is it someone who's kind of come across some information and almost has bought in to their own concept so much that they then dismiss everything else and don't... It's kind of what you were saying right at the start. Don't look at it in a rational point of view. You've got you've got a tainted view of it because you've decided that this thing is this thing and you're not going to shift from it. That's right. That's right. And, like, OK, so... Let's talk about this document from the National Library of Medicine in 2018. Mm -hmm. They started looking at conspiracy theories very much on the back. They sort of say in their exact summary, on the back of uh, the US election and in the UK, Brexit. It's about, there was a lot of, whether whichever side of the political fence you're on, there were definitely lies being told on both sides. And those turned into some dangerous things. But they sort of, they've pulled it out in a really nice, understandable way in terms of key insights. So the first key insight, they say, is that although conspiracy theories differ wildly in content, subjective beliefs in them are rooted in the same underlying psychology. This suggests that the in their findings that the single best predictor of belief in one conspiracy theory is belief in another conspiracy theory. Okay, can you explain that a little bit more? So if you believe that the Earth is flat, yeah. you could also, you are more likely to believe birds don't exist. Right, okay. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And then this is fascinating. This is from, um, so this is referenced work within there, carried out in 2012. Even beliefs in mutually incompatible conspiracy theories are positively correlated. So, for example, testing the fact that Princess Diana was murdered versus Princess Diana staged her own death, people will believe in both of those. Right. The same people. The same people. Right. While many conceptually distinct conspiracy theories accept, uh, exist, the tendency to believe in them appears to be underpinned by broader beliefs than support uh, that support conspiracy theories in general. general. Yeah. This is taking me back to the episode we did a few weeks ago on politics and the paranormal, where we went into people's be political beliefs and their belief in UFOs or ghosts or whatever. But it's yeah, it, if uh, there was a big bit in that study that I checked about people who were suspicious of the government or CIA or FBI, full stop. And that almost, it's almost what you're describing, doesn't it? It creates this uh, environment where if you don't believe anything they tell you, you almost go, I don't believe anything they tell me, so I must have to believe something else, even yeah. if that seems ridiculous. That's right, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So sort of building on that, there's a really good way of getting into the second key insight, which says that besides individual differences, belief in conspiracy theories is highly sensitive to social context. For instance, ideological motivations influence political conspiracy theory beliefs depending on election results. Yeah. So you mentioned this before. Yeah. Democrats believe government conspiracy theories, particularly if there is a Republican in the White House and yeah. vice versa. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think we, it's the same over here. Whoever is um, sort of the hated political party at the moment, you can believe anything about them if you support the other guys. Which does kind of tie into weirdly with when we first started the podcast and what we were trying to achieve of this balanced view of it. Because I think both me and you talked about before we even started the podcast, there is almost these extremes of doubters who just go well people who talk about this stuff are just crazy and believers who you know even if they're presented with evidence that suggests it wasn't something paranormal will almost want to reject it yeah that's right it sounds similar in terms of conspiracy theories maybe it's even more because you've then got politics and your worldview involved in it as well maybe it's even more um uh, 
rigid in terms of separation between those two, maybe. Does that make sense? It does, it does. Well, I think politics sort of, um, it's probably one of the the most, um, it's one of the things that for most of us in the Western world just um, take us along with it and it's the thing that changes society the most. We don't tend to sort of, um, on a wider scale, sort of have... Um, perhaps like um, the big invasions and wars of mm. the past. I mean, a few countries do, and um, that's terrible. But they point out that throughout history, this has been something that has been noted when there are things like huge fires, floods, earthquakes, rapid societal change, mm. violence, and wars. And so there's some there's some brilliant references about like what people thought about the Romans when they came in. That sketch, what have the Romans ever done yeah, yeah. for us? Yeah, yeah. There was whole loads of conspiracy theories, like, uh, for example, the people who were being invaded believed that they told other people that they had invented some of the technology that the Romans had stolen off them. And it's funny because I know this is slightly aside, but what you're talking about reminds me, I had a conversation with my aunt the other day. She's like in her late 90s. And uh, she's really with it. And we were we were talking about the war, and it, I was interested because she she was talking about the bombing of London because she lived in London when I mean she was young, but she was alive during the war. And she looked back on it almost in a nostalgic way of everybody was so united and. You know, we'd be in the underground, in the underground stations, and there was such a feeling of camaraderie and togetherness, and people were kind to each other. That juxtaposition of this terrible event that's going on, but in some ways she fondly looks back on it. I I thought that was interesting. But my grandparents did the same. Yeah, it's interesting that, isn't it? And and it, it, it almost shows that contradiction between belief and I, I don't know not exactly sure where I'm going with this but it's something that can feel like you should have a different perspective on it your own experience of it can be very different I guess is what I'm saying yes but I suppose as well it's a great unifier of thought even if um you were hating your neighbor because um the previous week they'd knocked their fence over and really annoyed you. When the Nazis are bombing you and you're side by side in the shelter, yeah. you can both go, bloody Nazis, yeah. and you're friends again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's interesting because this might come into their final point, which is social structures that shape citizens' feeling okay. of vulnerability okay. increase belief in conspiracy theories. So um, right. one of the main points is if you feel powerless then that predicts that you will believe a conspiracy theory. Right. So if you... It's why politicians will say, I'm behind the working guy, because the working guy, he hasn't got a voice, has he? He hasn't got a sense of belonging in this society which is controlled by the elites. And if you say, I speak for you and I understand you... You can say anything you want, and you will find people will follow you. Mm. It's remind. I think there's a. I, I'm not going to go into tons of detail on it, but there's a the psychology theory. Uh, I believe it's called top dog underdog, and that sounds very similar to that. If you if you feel you are the underdog, you've either got to got to rebel against that with the top dog. You know, the person of power. Or you go along with it so you can gain some power. But either way, it's about trying to, feeling powerless and trying to regain some kind of power for yourself. Yeah, yeah, totally. Well, (laughs) again, it's almost like you've been reading the notes because one of the points that they make is um, uh, a a feeling of powerlessness comes from it, whether you are a member of a stigmatised minority group. Yeah. And um, it talks about a common conspiracy theory amongst African-American population is that contraceptives are a form of black genocide. Right. And believe... Same with vaccinations, I think, as well, isn't it? I think that was something for some groups that came up during COVID. Which, which again, has has got some basis in fact, because I know in America that... I haven't got the details in front of me, so apologies if I get any of this detail wrong, but... There were certainly experiments uh, 
on black communities where they were, I think it was they were deliberately injecting them with syphilis or other types of diseases as a way of kind of testing out the effects on population, a bit going back to what we were talking about earlier. So I think there are these cases, certainly with certain communities where they have been abused by the government. So you can understand why there's this almost historical scepticism of things like what you're talking about. Yeah, no, totally. Well, interestingly, Thabo Mbeki, the president of South Africa from... uh, 1999 to 2008 he believed in the AIDS conspiracy that was you know similar to the um the contraceptive one and he prevented a bunch of uh, anti-retroviral treatment programs in South Africa and probably contributed to the deaths of 330,000 people um just because ah you know he personally believed those things yeah yeah so (laughs) and this is where it's almost some of these conspiracy theories have got so big that it's almost awkward talking about them but we must to understand the paranormal we must break the back of uh, the belief systems which drive other belief systems to understand you know whether ghosts really are the dead coming back to life Mm -hmm. and i then i started off the back of that previous document I found loads of interesting um, bibliography links to them, which took me on to the QAnon conspiracy theory because that is arguably the biggest one in our lifetime. Yeah, yeah. And um, they also reference BuzzFeed News, and nobody else could have put it better, I don't think. The nebulous nature of Q's dispatches has been a blank slate onto which other deeply troubling conspiracies have been projected. Berthas, for example, who promoted the claim that Barack Obama was born outside the US and then was for was ineligible to be president, is now being applied to Kamala Harris. Right. And anti-vaxxers who want to deny life-saving vaccines to children have entered the QAnon universe. In a way, QAnon emboldens every aspect of minor theories and amplifies them through a common route of communication. Now that, I hadn't thought of that before. Yeah. So, and also that ties back into those themes that we talked about of, you know, if you've got a if you've got a Democrat, I, I mean, QAnon. I always I could be wrong, but I mainly think of it as a you're more likely to be a Republican leaning belief system to be a QAnon because it's very associated with the MAGA thing as well. But you can see why it's more powerful when you've got a Democrat in the White House because you've almost got that background of not trusting the government and not believing. So That's right. You know, I I also think this idea of this kind of uh, cue as this faceless, uh, secretive, uh, almost Wizard of Oz-like in a way, you know what I mean? It, it, It... it's got this thing where you can almost project what you want to onto the character because you know very little about the real character. That that's exactly what they're saying. That nebulous nature. Yeah. You could say, well, I, yeah, no, I I believe that, but also I believe what they say about vaccines. Yeah. And like, oh, I hadn't really thought about that, but the, oh, everyone else believes that. Oh, okay, I'll jump on board. Hey, well, what was that film with the you know the 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 masks that have become so popular? It's. Um, V for Vendetta. Oh, yeah. It, it's kind of that character is like that, isn't it? This kind of faceless mask and why that mask has become so uh, associated with various movements and protest because it, it there is something almost romantic about that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. But but when you start talking about, like, when you know that the, the, this is sort of, that's how it works from a scientific background, that got me thinking, when we talk about the paranormal, mm-hmm. when we consume entertainment media, which tries to capture or explain anything in that realm, it provides a ready canvas for everyone to sort of create or um, at least join in beliefs which are accepted as real, all ghost hunting programs mm. pretty much accept we're talking to the dead. Yeah. And if you come, if you were to launch a ghost hunting program, you know the dead and demons. If you had another theory on ghosts, funnily enough, 
you probably wouldn't get it commissioned and probably people wouldn't watch it as much. Yeah. It, it, it reminds me, the one I always think about is I can't remember the name of the programme and there's probably been a few of them. There's the, you know, there's these, you know, quote-unquote documentaries about uh, bases on the moon and that the moon has all these kind of abandoned alien technology. You've probably come across these, Ben. Um but I remember watching one of those and yeah, there's these what look like a moon photo of these bunch of rocks and then suddenly, you know, in post-production they draw on, look, here's the base and here's the satellite dish and you know what I mean? And it's yeah. like and it's like, well, okay. And but you know, you sit there and think, or it could just be a kind of clump of rocks that you're drawing something over the top of to make it look like that and you know it's interesting that all the pictures seem to be based on our technology rather than some technology yeah. we don't understand. <laughs> That's right, yeah. There's but, their water dispenser. Yeah. Which I don't mind that in terms of, uh, yes, it could be, but there doesn't seem to be any acknowledgement that, or it could be, you know, some kind of paradoilia or some, you know, it's just a coincidence that these rocks look something like that and we're using a bit of artistic licence to say, wow, could it be something else? They're never pitched in that way, are they? They're pitched in, we found an alien base on the moon. Ab- absolutely. And then <laughs> this might come in useful. So this is from Manchester Met Union 2021. Like we've said, why, why use one word when 14 will do? <laughs> Paranormal belief thinking style and delusional formation a latent profile analysis of within individual variations in experience-based paranormal facets you got that <laughs> do you think they go we cracked it and then they just roll around on the floor <laughs> laughing <laughs> i think they put that into a random word generator yeah, and put yeah, it together yeah. what they mean is why do people believe in the paranormal oh it's funny you say that we should do that one week with um chat gbt we should kind of put together a real basic sentence to say could you turn that into an academic paper sentence see what oh yes this study examined the degree to which within individual variations in paranormal experience were related to belief in the paranormal preferential thinking style and delusional formation it took uh 956 non-clinical adults and they completed measures assessing experience-based paranormal indices so whether they'd had a paranormal experience, whether they were pra- practicing paranormal, uh, you know, researchers, or even had a paranormal ability, and this included their belief in science and proneness in reality testing deficits. <laughs> so that means <laughs> how, what shape is the Earth? You know, that right. sort of thing. Okay. What they go on to say, and I'm going to have to quote this because. This is kind of their summary, but I will apologise. You're going to do a word salad. Yeah, I'll sort of narrate it as we go. Okay. They sum up by saying, in rational terms, since individuals can explain anomalous stimuli via a range of non-supernatural elucidations, (laughs) (laughs) what they mean is... um, There might be another explanation. uh, It could have been a ghost (laughs) or it could have been a light. Experiential factors are less likely to generate paranormal attributions than beliefs. Acknowledging this, the tendency to ascribe paranormal active, uh, paranormality to experience is heightened under specific conditions. <laughs> so that means, like, if you if you put someone into a room and say there's a ghost, if they believe in the paranormal, right. as you might think, they go, "That's a ghost." Somebody else's go would go. No, it's not a ghost. But and how, how did they test this? Is that what they did? They put somebody in a room and kind of almost Darren Brown. Them. They they presented all sorts of different stimuli, um, which are you, largely videos and images, and said, "What do you think? What this do you is? think of this?" Yeah, right. okay. exactly. I've got it. Now, I think that they missed a big part because people. You, you can't, and I understand the difficulty in testing this. You can't put someone in a castle and. And go, do you see a ghost? You know, because you probably don't. But when, so they go on to say that the the way they sum this up fully is when a personal event creates uncertainty 
and or anxiety, the psychological desire for understanding and control can truncate objective decision-making and encourage an over-reliance on self-generated internal subjective data. So this includes the endorsement of alternate scientifically unsubstantiated beliefs. So what they're saying is, basically, if you believe in the paranormal you're going to believe that you saw a ghost. If you don't believe in the paranormal, you're going to believe you don't. And this goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. We have to really check ourselves when we're looking at these things and make sure that we're looking at it from a subjective eye. But how do you do that? Because we're humans and we find that really hard. It's interesting because I think without knowing that, I think we've instinctively done that a fair bit on this podcast because we have i know that i I, i'm thinking of the wandsworth haunting we did with uh mish paris and uh monet um and i think what interested me when i first talked to monet about her experiences of seeing floating heads and all kinds of stuff she doesn't believe in the paranormal or, or you know, I, she knows she's had these weird experiences that she can't explain, but she's not like a big, oh, yeah, I love the paranormal and I believe in it. And I think we've, whether we've been lucky to find people like that, but I'm always drawn to people who don't have a belief who've had something weird happen to them more than somebody who does. Not that I'm discounting the people no, who no, do. No, no, um, Yeah, well, that, that's interesting. But I think you could also... Maybe there's less uh, examples of it and maybe it's harder to test and prove. I was thinking about it in the reverse way of I buy that thing that you're experiencing something you can't understand and you try and rationalise it through a belief system that you have. But I think it's – I was thinking it's interesting that people seeing owls in connection with – maybe alien ufo encounters is interesting because if you follow that logic are they seeing an owl because they haven't got a belief system in ufos and they've actually seen an alien it's the only way they can rationalize yeah you can apply it both ways can't you i think that's exactly true and it's very hard to test for the other way yeah around because and i'm not and i'm not saying well the other reason it's really hard to test is they're probably by the nature of what they're talking about, if we go with what they're talking about, there will be less of those people. You know, it was back to what I said earlier, 99% of maybe UFO and ghost encounters can be explained away through these things. There's something else. But it's the 1% that is like, okay, if you follow what they're saying in that paper... The 1% in some ways could say, well, that 1% did see something paranormal because they're trying to interpret it as something that's not. Right, right, exactly. And I suppose the greatest place where you can actually witness this is um, when you go on a ghost hunting trip on an organised event. Yeah. Because pretty much everyone there either believes in ghosts or wants to believe in ghosts. And wants to see one on that trip. And wants to see one. And whenever I've gone with different people, we've always come away sort of going, oh, God, that was a bit over the top because I don't think that was a ghost. I think that was just the radiators cooling. But everyone else in that group has gone, oh, that's a ghost walking down the corridor. And so that's where I do think I do come at it from a a middle ground. But you can see it in action in places like that. Yeah, and I was thinking, we talked about last week, 30 East Drive, where it's got this... You know, this backstory, this legend, this lore that almost creates an environment where you're going to think that. I, I Again, it was one of the things, I know I mention it a lot on the podcast, but it, it was one of the things that really impressed me when we first interviewed the author Ruth Roper Wilde. We were talking about TV shows that go on ghost hunts and, wow, miraculously something always seems to happen. And we know with our experience of TV that you're under pressure for something to happen, let alone in the the haunted environment. But I remember Ruth saying, you know, you can go to a location that's haunted 70, 80 times and see nothing, and one time you might get something. But we know from a, you know, if you're running something like 30 East Drive or you're doing a TV programme where you're supposed to go to a haunted location, you ain't got 70 days to film in the hope that you might get something. 
No, exactly right. Exactly right. But I think, you know, the all of that stuff makes you go, well, you should be cynical about, not cynical, and uh, cynical has taken on the wrong meaning. Cynical and sceptical means I just deny everything. But you have to come at it with a view of interrogating the truth, if that is possible. Yeah, or, or like, like I think in that paper we discussed last week on Infrasound, the author of that said, look, infrasound is another thing you should try and eliminate before you leap to the conclusion that it's a paranormal occurrence or a ghost. And like you said, noises from radiators, I think he talked about all that stuff. It's like, yeah, uh, that's the way I would, uh, I think the way we try and approach it is like, okay, let's discount that, let's discount that, could be that, could be that, could be that. But I think a lot of the stories we cover, there's always something... Even discounting all that, that bit's a bit weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, as if to prove that very point, I told you sometimes the reality around conspiracy theories is odder than the truth. Yeah. You ever heard of a, pr a project called Acoustic Kitty? Now, that sounds really good, though. Is that is that like a death metal version of Hello Kitty? <laughs> It was a CIA programme in the 60s that aimed to use cats as covert listening devices. Brilliant. The idea was to surgically implant a microphone, antenna and batteries inside a cat, which would then be trained to wander around enemy territory and <laughs> eavesdrop on conversations. There's a fundamental flaw in that process. Is that the training of cats? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon as you said it, it's like, why go with a cat? <laughs> I, guess, <laughs> I guess because, they, yeah, they do, they are, I can understand why they go, they're the one kind of pet-like animal that they just go where they want, but training must be pretty hard. Well, the project was approved um, really? in 1961. 20 million was spent on research and development. Wow. The first test of the program took place in 1966 when a cat was released near the Soviet embassy in Washington, D.C. And this is... It's going to be have a funny ending, isn't it? It is. The cat was immediately hit by a taxi oh, and killed. Oh, no. Not that I know. Funny I'm, not I'm so sorry, cat lovers. I'm so sorry. But there couldn't have been a more perfect in what to that Can story. Can you imagine the, the, the handlers going... We spent twenty million on this. Here we go, lads. <laughs> Let it go. Oh no! <laughs> He's been hit by a larder. <laughs> no, this is America. It was being oh, it was hit in by America, a Buick. A Buick. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Despite this setback, the program continued for several years with numerous surgeries performed on cats to implant listening devices. The project was ultimately deemed a failure as the cats proved to be unreliable <laughs> and easily distracted. <laughs> In addition, the devices themselves were found to be too large and heavy for the cats to carry without oh, attracting no. attention. <laughs> well, no, no, no. What about the poor bloody cat? I know. It's got to go through surgery, have a heavy thing in its... No, I mean... You know, they're, they're pissy at the best of times, let alone having to go through all that. You want me to do whatever you say? Screw you. How do you spend 20 million? Wow. wow. I, d I don't get it. And and obviously, although I lean more dogs than cats, I can't condone that activity. That no. is frankly horrible. Wasn't there, uh, or is it just there was that fictional film that I remember as a kid? Wasn't there something similar with dolphins? Where they were training dolphins to plant. Um, oh no, that was true. Yeah, plant true. land uh, to plant, not <laughs> land mines. <laughs> See, there was a fundamental flaw. In <laughs> uh, no limpet mines on the bottom of ships. That's right. Yeah, land, that's land mines would have been hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> There's something wrong with the way we've set this up. <laughs> oh, the cat thing. That's that. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm feeling for the cats, and I have a certain sensitivity about it, but. It was doomed from the start, wasn't it? It was. But if you find out that's true, not all birds, but you you can believe that some birds are drones, can't you? Again, I don't know if this is something I've seen in a movie or it's a reality. Isn't there that thing? So apologies, but isn't there something similar where they've got a kind of a fly that's a, uh, a bugging device? Oh, yeah. That, yeah. That, almost like a drone that they can control. If they haven't, I'm sure they're working on one because that would make sense. You're never going to think twice about a fly, are you? Let, let, a cat, I kind of, it's more difficult. But um, 
and also you can make a fly pretty much because of the size of it look convincing. So it, you can see why they went down that road. But, you know, that first sentence of the objective is to train cats. That's that's where they went wrong. That must have been one hell of a meeting. When is it? Any, got any new ideas? Um Actually, Johnson's got one. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about cats, and uh, yeah, what's the uh, number ten cat, Humphrey? Humphrey, yeah, um, makes you wonder. Does is he Ooh. a robot, or is he is he a, is he a, an enemy combatant who's there spying on the activities at, <laughs> at Downing Street? He probably came away and was like, "Have you got to report this week?" Oh, they like to party. I'll tell him that. <laughs> I'm imagining if he is he's kind of his vision is like that of terminator from terminator 2 yeah. and he, he's like must drink milk yeah. <laughs> is that sunak <laughs> <laughs> meow meow <Yeah>. out <laughs> oh that well, is brilliant i mean yeah i mean oh Oh, those poor little kitties who went to went through it. And then the first one just gets run over. I know, oh. I know, I know. It's awful. But they think they know, could have trained it the highway code as well as just spying. We'd have thought they'd have carried it across the road. Yeah. But, yeah. Anyway, that is a little insight from what the scientific community thinks about conspiracy theories and a little <laughs> lesson about... Why they're still so hard to tell the truth from reality? Yeah. Well, again, it's it's funny that so that last one. If you if you did post that as a conspiracy theory, people would be going, "Oh, that's just too ridiculous to believe," wouldn't you? But it's true, you know. So you can see why the the waters are muddy. Full stop, aren't they? And they are. I think the theme that I've got from this is you have to have that thread of some level of believability in terms of a historical context or you know some you know like like the one we said about people uh, the chemtrails and people testing stuff on their own people because it's happened it makes it easier to believe i think that's why um things for me like flat earth theory and stuff like that are just because I scratch my head and go, it doesn't make any sense and it's so complicated and there are so many holes in it that how could you go, you know, unless you kind of say we live in a simulated universe and this is all part of it. But um, that's what's interesting me about what you covered today. There is there is something you can hang on to as a thread to go, okay, maybe, maybe. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. And... Um I also think it shows that um, humans are fallible, not necessarily gullible. I yeah. think that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, going back to the the birds one, um, that's fascinating, isn't it? The the way he set that up. Did he have any um, backlash because of these two personas? He's kind of admitting it's like we said, almost like a thought experiment. Because I know people who've um, dumb paranormal um either youtube or podcasts or whatever who've kind of said oh i did it as a hoax it was just a bit of fun they've got huge backlash for that has he got backlash do you know not as far as i can tell it's interesting that isn't it the way he's framed it yeah he's he's almost sitting that middle line isn't he between the uh people who would believe in it and the people who would be skeptical of it because of the way he's created this multiple persona it really illustrates the complexity of it actually when you think about it well when when people who have come out and said it was just a hoax people don't believe them and go well you're just saying that yeah yeah you've been got at you've been got at yeah yeah, yeah i remember the story of the lad on youtube who posted all the black eyed kids uh, videos. Then he said, "Oh, I'm, I'm just a film student. I did it as a project." And people, he did get backlash, but people were like, "No, you're just covering up. The government told you to say that, so no. you can't win." No, no. That was fascinating, Ben. Really fascinating. I'm glad we did that. Yeah. I, I, I think again, I'm, it's funny because I on that on one of them I was kind of saying, you know, this kind of belief system thing that you were talking about with the academic paper with the word salad. Um, it's interesting my mind went oh yes but surely if people don't 
put these experiences into a paranormal context does that mean they really were maybe that says something about my wanting to believe that's interesting that's one to ponder. oh yeah i felt the same yeah. i felt the same really interesting love to know what um you out there think of that listening to it and your opinion of it and um give us your feedback uh continue to like subscribe leave reviews are really good for us we're still working away on the youtube stuff we're, we're i'm kind of stumbling in the dark sometimes so i think some weeks it'll be more exciting youtube experience than others but stick with us we're still building it so um at the quantum mechanics on youtube and obviously follow us on twitter and facebook at tqm podcast perfect See what I did there. Yeah, perfect. Um, (laughs) We will see you next week. That's the best Eartha Kit impression you've ever done. (laughs) Um, Yes, more quantum mechanics next week. Thanks for listening. See you then. Bye. the quantum mechanics